This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to another episode of Draft Deeper here on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. I am Maxwell Baumbach. Again, unfortunately, scheduling did not work out in our favor and we do not have Nathan Grubel with us yet again, but he's still kicking. He's doing a lot of work for the site, nevertheless. And I am joined by none other than Stephen Gillespie. Stephen, how are you doing today? Maxwell, man, I am doing awesome. Uh, we're going to talk about it more, but it's a pretty bittersweet episode. I'm excited to, to dive into the players that we have on deck. Uh, wish Nathan could be here, but, you know, life is uh, hitting us all at different angles at the same time. Yes. So yeah. it's, uh, and it's, you know, we're recording this leading off into Mother's Day weekend. So, mm-hmm. uh, happy Mother's Day to all the, the yeah. moms that are out there of, uh, just the no ceilings moms. Shout out mm-hmm. to them. Shout out yep. to the prospects moms, just moms in general. Moms mm-hmm. rock. Yeah. It's a big, big weekend for moms. And also, yeah, because we are recording this before the weekend. If any of these players commit a major crime or if they do something really <laughs> bad between now and then Steven can say, that's not one of my guys anymore. He gets to reserve exactly. that, right? No, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen with any of these guys. Uh, but yeah, so this episode, Steven, unfortunately uh, is going to be coming up on a hiatus here uh, from no ceiling. So with that being the case, we got to do his guys. We got to do an episode on Steven's guys, his favorite players in the draft guys that he thinks are, you know, undervalued guys that he really likes and really enjoys watching. So, Stephen, we're going to kick it uh, off with your first guy on the list, Cam Whitmore, yeah. somebody that I'm very fond of too. Six seven forward from Villanova. Give us the rundown. Why is why is Cam Whitmore one of your guys? Well, the biggest development in my af- affinity with uh, Cam Whitmore is I have him fourth on my board now. Over Sir, uh, me too. Long over a long time stalwart and favorite Jairus Walker and typical caveat that there's nothing wrong with Jairus Walker. Yeah. Right? He's an absolutely tremendous, tremendous player. I'm just looking at upside now, Maxwell mm-hmm. and Jairus has an upside as well. I'm also acknowledging that, but what Cam Wentworth could be and what I believe he will be is pretty scary. Like Maxwell, there's a potential that he could yield top two value in a in a redraft of this class if you know unfortunately if things don't go right for some players or things just go mm-hmm. extra right for him yep. he is uh he is the type of player that if it hits that's what every NBA team covets you know first off he's he's measured what we would typically associate like a uh anywhere from the 90s on star in an NBA team right like he's mm-hmm. six 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 seven uh, I've been saying for a little while now, uh, I have receipts if people are interested, but I've been saying that Cam Whitmore's athleticism is right up there with the Thompson twins. And mm-hmm. uh, since I've been saying that here recently, there have been a picture of him doing that 40 inch jump and he mm-hmm. clears it. So that's, that's yeah. pretty outstanding. <laughs> yeah. So he, he's athletic. And then 
we get into the Villanova situation and I was on deep dives last week, so I won't hit every major talking point, you know, just encourage the listeners to, to go back and listen. But I just look at the things that he does well, right? Like he moves and cuts well. Uh, he, if he's a bad shooter shooting 34, 35%, then if he improves, like that's going to be scary. Um, but even though he's uh, a middling three point shooter, he's showing at least that you got to respect him. And then that athleticism, that size, the creativity off of the balance to be able to attack the paint, the unique blend that he has in this class of style and graces is pretty impeccable. And then we start looking at the defense, which is where I think that he's going to earn a lot of his uh, value whenever we start seeing him in the NBA is that that athleticism, everything that he uses it for on the offensive end defensively, he looks like he's going to be some some type of force, a potential two through four defender in the NBA, depending on the one, he might be able to even, you know, provide switch value onto some ones because of his length and athleticism and just smart gambles. You know, he has intelligent hands when he's on the ball. I was talking with Nick about this on deep dives and I, Tori Eason, I liked him as a defender, but there was a lot of like pressing and a lot of gambling. Yeah. Yeah. Where if you look at Cam Whitmore and his stills numbers, they're pretty favorable but he plays fundamental defense. So like he just gets the ball handler in in positions to where they're uncomfortable. Uh, A lot of times he posts the ball loose. So if we're not even crediting him with steals, you know, deflections, that's going to be a big stat for him in the NBA. And the last thing I want to touch on with Cam Whitmore, Maxwell, I even wrote about this on my piece over at no ceilings, NBA.com. It's a hundred percent free. You all should go check it out. Uh, um, Is that, the passing numbers are like the big focal point, the talking point with him. And while people could point at the the passing numbers and say, they're not good. I would say, Hey, you're right. But let's look at the why behind that. And so I dove into Villanova's passing numbers. And I realized that like out of most D one colleges that Villanova's passing was like bottom third easily. Like I didn't get the exact percentage because, you know, Arkansas math, whatever, but it's not good. And so it's so not good that it was actually worse than South Carolina. So when we're looking at Gigi Jackson and those assist numbers, like it makes sense why they're not great because the team wasn't great at passing. Well, Villanova was actually worse than that. And also shout out to Bryce Sensball because Ohio State was also in that lower tier of low ball movement teams. Mm -hmm. And the other thing on top of the low ball movement numbers is that the turnover percentage for Whitmore is actually pretty respectable. So if you consider low passing IQ team, still has favorable decision-making numbers in his favor. I think that that projects well moving forward in the NBA where spacing and ball movement is going to be at a premium around him. So I think in the right ecosystem, that passing number is actually going to get a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to kind of go through piece by piece and just kind of touch on the big things that you hit on. So the first thing that you touch on is obviously the athleticism. And I think mm-hmm. that's like big. This is a guy who has, who's not only like athletic, cause I think people think athletic and I feel like a lot of times people are like, this guy's athletic, that guy's athletic. And they don't really go into like what that means. And Cam Whitmore is like the true athletic full package, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's not just, he does jump really high. He does have a great first step, but he's also like very strong. He's really powerful. He gets downhill with a fury. Like he is, he is every type of athleticism you could want. Change Um, of direction. Lateral movement, change of direction. Exactly. It's, it's all there. Um, So just coming in, like, 
with what he showed is an on ball defender, he's going to come in and be able to cover his man. And, and like you said too, like, yeah, like two through four, I think that's all on the table eventually. And like, I don't think he's going to get like totally smoked by ones. Like I would never be like, right. Hey, go cover uh, like John Moran. Like that's like, that's (laughs) how a team's going to use him. But if he does have to get switched onto that, like those smaller players, he's going to be fine. Like he'll, he'll do well. Um, But yeah, like athletically, it's all there. I think the shot is better than the percentage. And I think I do too. That is a function of how many th- he took more threes off the dribble than he did off the catch. And like, if you told me that going into the year, I'd be like, what on earth? Like, how did that happen? And the answer is this Villanova team is pretty bad. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> but the spot up numbers are good too. For. That's the thing. He made 40% of his catch and shoot threes. Um, and most of them were guarded. He was not a guy who was getting left open. Only 13 of those 45 catch and shoots were unguarded. So this is a guy who did not have an easy shot diet from three and took a good amount of them. I really buy the shot. Um, I also really buy his downhill game because even against like strong players, he can plow through them. He can get to the basket. Um, I don't like his pull-up stuff. Like he was actually better pull-up threes and he was at pull-up twos, like the middle part of the court, just like it was before the season. It's not there for him yet, but I think similar to what we talked about with Jay Nivey last year, it's kind of not there because it's never had to be there. Mm-hmm. Like Jay Nivey was never in a position where it's like, well, you get stuck in the mid range. You got to pull up like that. No, like he could just make threes or he would get where he wanted. So exactly. it was not like, oh, I, I like he hasn't spent a lot of game reps on that shot because it's just not something that he runs into. He gets to the rim a good amount and when he does he finishes there really well because like we said he can jump really high he can jump really far and he's a grown man um so i love the offensive like so i think this at its core (laughs) if nothing else comes along we have a guy who is a tremendous athlete in every sense Mm -hmm. who can knock down open shots attack the rim and finish like he's gonna he's gonna survive like i think I think the bust rate on Cam Whitmore is exceptionally low. I agree. Um, I think the floor is a lot higher than what he's given credit for. Yeah, because I think because I think a lot of people focus on the assist percentage, which, like, to be clear, six point four assist percentage is like true danger zone. Like that is very uncommon. Um, And a lot of the guys that do have those numbers historically are guys that have busted. But I don't think that's Cam. I think Cam is like so much better physically than those guys. And even if he is just like a guy who catches and shoots and attacks the rim of defense, he's still going to be pretty damn useful NBA player because he is so good at all of those things. Yeah. And I I think it's going to come too because like he is just, he's able to get where he wants. And I think mm -hmm. he's going to get better, like just recognizing basic things and making teams pay. And I actually thought he'd, he'd had some flashes of that prior to college as far as just like oh here comes the help defender here's a little interior dish like that kind of stuff I, I don't think went away i think it was just villanova was weird yeah villanova was weird he suffered an injury a hand injury and maxwell i talked with nick about this you know i'd love to get your thoughts on it even if it's only just briefly but mm-hmm. he suffered a hand injury which typically doesn't have as total impact on your ability to be on a basketball court as like a lower body injury but the staying power of that injury, I'm very curious, right? Because yeah, yeah. he suffered low three-point shooting towards the beginning of the year. He also didn't have a, a real shot at beefing those numbers up against lower level of competition because his debut game was against Oklahoma. And even when he played, I touched on this in the article, he had a minutes percentage uh, in games played of like 52%, right? Mm-hmm. So like Coach Neptune wasn't like, hey, let's just let our 
let our guy cook. You know, let's make this highly touted, like highest recruited player that we've had in forever for Villanova program. He's going to still have to earn his way up. Now, there's negativity to that, obviously, especially if we're evaluating a prospect in terms of like, okay, he's not a high usage guy, right? But Mm -hmm. if you consider like the character stuff that comes along with that, right? Like, (laughs) did you? My bad. Accidentally hit the add button, but we're good. It's okay. I needed a break. I was getting too hyped up. (laughs) No, so go. So go. Yeah, you mentioned the fit at Villanova. Yeah. So the fit at Villanova, he was he was coached like any other player on Villanova, which, which is great. Right. Because on top of that, I don't remember hearing any character issues, like any like grumblings or anything about that on his role. Um, If he, he could go on the court Maxwell and get like two steals on consecutive possessions and, and hit a three, but he makes one bad, you know, assignment coverage. He gets yanked out of the game, just like anybody else. Right. So, the, the minutes percentage, I see a negative side of that, but also see a very positive side because if you're going to get a guy who you believe is a star player, the, the highest success rate of star players are those who you get that same amount of buy-in from them to where, okay, if this is a guy that I'm going to be invested in, we want him to be a face of the franchise. Even if he's not the face, he can be a face. And if this guy is coachable and if this guy buys into the system, that gives zero excuses for anybody else on the team. Like we see players succeed and thrive and teams, franchise organizations will thrive when they're, when the faces of their team do exactly what we saw Cam Wentmore do when he was one of the top prospects in his respective class. He was, he had, he struggled with injuries. He struggled with playing time role responsibility, but production was there. And the flashes are all still significant enough to suggest that he's still a top five talent. That's why I have him fourth. It's just that's all character stuff on top of that, that NBA front offices are going to eat up whenever they get a chance to interview Cam. For sure. Yeah. And I, th- I think it's going to come down to, in terms of just his long-term embryo projection, like does the vision get better? Like, can you avoid some of the tunnel vision stuff? And then can he, can he get his handle a little bit better so that he can break guys down on an Island a little bit more? Um, because right now it doesn't seem like he has a ton of counters, but I, it's again, like it's like the, the Jaden Ivy conundrum. It's just like what I'm going to call it going forward, where it's like when you get where you want, like, of course, that's not going to be a more developed aspect of your game. Whereas we see like a Trey Alexander, for example, yeah. a guy who has a million counters, but he's also like way less athletic than Cam Whitmore. So it's like, this is how you have to play. It's a necessity. Like, yes, right? exactly, exactly. Like, could you please Whitmore, stop driving to straight to the basket and getting buckets whenever you want so we can make sure <laughs> yeah. that you have, you know, a, a good up and under? Yeah. 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 Why is Cam Whitmore not using a hostage dribble more often? Like, why? <laughs> like, like, these are the things that just, yeah, he doesn't have to do. So, um, yeah, so so we both like Cam Whitmore, number four on your board. Any closing thoughts on Cam Whitmore? Because I think we covered like the big the big positives and the big criticisms. Right. Yeah, I, I've written about him over at NoSingleZB.com. You haven't already. And I've and I've spoke with Nick about it on deep dives. I'm talking about it now because mm-hmm. I'm just a big fan. I was a big fan coming in, dude. Like at one point, I was I like, him. "Could he challenge Scoot and Victor Wimbanyama coming into mm-hmm. the year?" Like I was silly enough to think that, and, and then. Those two just quickly knocked him down. And then the emergence of Brandon Miller. And then again, for the longest time, I was like, Jarris Walker is really good. But going back and contextualizing the season for Cam, I would highly encourage anybody to do that. Because if you can go back and just watch him, 
and see everything that he went through on that team personally as well. Like he has the tools to be a star level player. And if you don't get a top three pick in this year's draft class and you, you just so happen to land at number four, there's still a star on the board waiting for you there. Yeah. I do think to your point too, like if you follow like the course of the season, like we were knocking him for some of the defensive stuff earlier in the year. Like mm-hmm. he'd get a little stand and watch heavy. And like, I still think he has more to offer as like a weak side room protector. Like I think that's something that could come along. Um, but yeah, like he was slip sliding all over the place. He got, he was getting cooked by guards in big moments. And I'm like, by the end of the year, like, yeah, he was, he was just doing phenomenal on that end. So that does it for the Cam Whitmore talk. We've got a couple more big names coming up. We got some sleepers coming up. So stay tuned. We're going to be right back after the ad break. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, we are back. And next up on the docket is a guy that, to your credit, you were very early on on this guy. And it was one of those things where early season is like silly season. Like every year they're yeah. got pop up. And it's the non-con schedule. Teams are playing a lot of a lot of bad teams, and it's hard to know what's what. But you saw this guy early in the year. You identified him. You stuck with him, and now he is kind of the talk of the town. And that is UCF's Taylor Hendricks, a six-nine freshman. Uh, give us the rundown of Taylor Hendricks. What do you what do you like, and where is he on your board? Yeah, so I wrote about him way early in the year. I think it was like January to February timeframe. I don't have the I don't have the the actual date committed to memory, but it was it was pretty early on in the cycle. And even um, before that, you were bringing him up a lot. It's like a guy like early and like you were one of the first people I remember mentioning, at least to me, bringing him up as a guy who was kind of exceeding expectations and was going to be a real guy. Well, and I appreciate that because I know that you you pull from a lot of different areas. So like to, to me, it means something that you're saying that I'm one of the first people, because I know that that's like, that's a significant milestone in the draft space, (laughs) but, um, I I like him a lot for obvious reasons, for the same reasons that everybody else is talking about him. Now you mentioned the height, six foot nine, uh, shoots the cover off of the ball, um, with ease. I think that the, the form could be cleaned up a little bit, but it's working like tremendously well right now. And then the weak side rim protection that he offers, like the article that I wrote about him was that he's tailor made for the NBA, just play off of his first name. Obviously I'm not super creative here, but he is tailor made for the NBA. And the fact that I think a lot of teams now are experimenting with what I'm calling like modernized twin tower lineups where mm-hmm. you want size all over the floor, right? Like look at what Cleveland's doing. Look at what Orlando's doing now, Los Angeles. But when I wrote about him being, 
you know, in, in Utah with Jared Vanderbilt, Laurie Marketing, um, Kelly Olenek, so on and so forth, right? Like teams want length everywhere. And if you have ball handlers on your team that are also big, like Apollo Boncaro or Franz Wagner, uh, Evan Mobley can do a little bit of creation. I think that that's going to be expanded in his game. Lowry marketing from what we saw in Utah, that positional versatility that those jumbo creator initiator score type players have, it opens the floor up for other big men who can space the floor and have weak side rim protection a la Taylor Hendricks. And that's what I think that he's going to offer to any NBA team that's fortunate enough to to draft him this year when i wrote about him like four months ago i was like okay maybe he's going to be a rotational guy for a a middle to late first round team but he just progressively got better all throughout the season like he had a you know clash of the titans battle with drew pember early on in the season and if if you look at that as like a marker saying like okay like what do we look for in terms of of a successful season for these prospects just look at the path that both of those prospects went on where we were like, mm-hmm. who's the better prospect between Drew Primber and Taylor. Hendricks? Yeah. Obviously Taylor has stayed the course and he's gotten better mm-hmm. throughout the year too, with like rebounding screening. There's people that like the, the flashes of playmaking and the decision-making that he has. Uh, I had the opportunity to interview him whenever he played um, ECU in Orlando mm-hmm. for the game that I was able to catch. And he already knows what the next step in his development is. And that's his ball handling ability. But Maxwell, why I like him so much is that he's got an entry level skill set of three and D. And yeah. we all know how valuable that is, especially for a player of his age and size. That's and that to me is like the icing on the cake, right? Like yeah. there's a lot of quote unquote three and D guys, a lot of guys who get that three and D label and like they're barely three and D. Like they are barely yeah. one or the other. Like there's always like one where it's like, yeah, he's three and D. And it's like you're the 34% from three. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's a lot of guys who like could that. be. Taylor Hendricks is legit. He is a guy who, yeah, blocked 1.7 shots, 0.9 steals, and almost 40% from three. He's a six foot nine freshman who can move. So, yeah, yeah he is very, very exciting. Um, I, yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what you said there. I think that just in terms of like his point A to point B was really great. Like you mentioned the matchup with Drew Pember earlier in the year. And then, like, look at some of these games. Like, I was talking to Evan earlier in the week about like, how he looked in games against like Jairus Walker too yeah. later in the year where it's like, man, like a- again, like no, we thought he was going to get eaten alive whenever he started that conference gameplay and like early yeah. on in the season, like it was against Jairus Walker and like he held mm-hmm. his own, like he did really well. Yeah. Um, and like, yeah, like again, like no disrespect to Drew Pember. I love Drew Pember, but Drew Pember is also like a four year senior. who's going back for a grad year because he probably partially because like ESPN had him in the eighties, right? Like I liked Drew Pember a lot. I had him in my top 60 at different points. Um, but yeah, like he probably wasn't going to get drafted. And then you see him against a guy like Jairus, who's probably a top 10 pick later in the year. And it's like, oh man, like this is sustaining itself. Uh, it's a real testament to, to what he was able to do. Um, love the high release on the shot. Yes. I, I too am bullish on the playmaking. Like I know that is again, like assists rate, nothing crazy, whatever. But I, I think at the very least he knows where everyone on the court is and he makes very quick decisions. The ball doesn't stick with Taylor Hendricks. And if you're not going to be like a passer playmaker, I think that is like exactly the baseline I want to see is just like, do you know where your teammates are? do you move the ball quickly? Cause that's, that's another knock on Cam Whitmore, right? Is that like a lot of times he gets the ball and he surveys and that's not 
present with Taylor Hendricks. He gets it and he kicks it or he's shooting or he's attacking. Um, on the handle, I, I don't think it's like anything great. Again, he's not a guy who's going to like break people down off the dribble, but I do like how he gets low with the ball. I think that he knows like functionally how to attack a closeout, at least in the very basic sense. Um, my, and my hangups with him are not things I'm like ultra worried about. So, um, the frame, like it's, it's pretty narrow right now. Like, but again, he's a young player who is tall. So that is very normal. Um, and he struggled a little bit as an interior finisher, which again, I don't really worry about. So interior finishing, um, is something that doesn't really tend to come around very often, but the guys that do are generally big athletes. So it's like, that's, that's Taylor Hendricks. So, um, I've, I've like been flirting with putting him six on my Mm. board, honestly, just because I think that the savvy is there. The defense is there. The movement and the shooting is really there. And it's just hard to find shooters that size. And I, I thought his defensive technique throughout the year got better and better when it came to just guarding the ball. So yeah, I am, I'm a big fan of Taylor Hendricks. What would be, what would you say? is your biggest concern in like what like worst case scenario what are we looking at with Taylor Hendricks because again it just feels like a really kind of high floor guy yeah um so what yeah what would be like what like if it goes quote-unquote wrong for Taylor Hendricks what do you think causes it to go wrong I'm sorry I get the names mixed up but is it who's the the McDaniels in Philly is it is it Jaden or Jalen that's Jalen yeah Jalen is yeah yeah, I, I think Philly McDaniels is kind of like low end outcome who is playing playoff basketball for Philadelphia right now. So not not the worst floor in the end. Yeah, NBA. if you can be Jalen McDaniels, that's that's great. I'm sorry, right. I think I might have gotten them messed up. It's Jalen is Philly, Jaden, Minnesota. Yeah, so Jalen is, uh, is the one that you were saying is yeah. like before Jalen yes, Philadelphia McDaniel. No, it's all good. It's all <laughs> I, good. I think I got it right. I I don't even know. I'm <laughs> I wrote about Jalen McDaniels today for the piece I have coming out next week. I, I oh. touched on him a little bit, but yeah, the McDaniels thing is just st- I still get them mixed up, and like they're not even the same age. It's embarrassing that I it it is right, that, but, but it is what it is. They're, yeah. they're super close. It's a letter off. Similar, they're similar builds. But the the point here is is that like even if he's still Philadelphia McDaniels that he's not even done developing yet. Right. Like he, he's still finding consistent playing time. He's playing on a bunch of different types of rosters with a bunch of different types of star players. And he's still finding rotational minutes on a playoff team. Right. Mm -hmm. So even if he's not, that's not what you're looking to take at number six, but if all else fails, you're still getting like a professional grade, multifaceted versatile forward in the nba that's right yeah and i kind of like that comp too because like mcdaniels yeah he's a guy who can guard up and down really well he's Mm -hmm. very big he is a very good free throw shooter and like he just has ways like yeah like his offensive usage isn't anything crazy right like it's generally spotting up it's running the floor it's like cutting here and there and that's it like he's he's a guy who doesn't have the ball very much kind of moves on from it quickly when he doesn't have it handle isn't anything crazy, but his role is, is very, very simplified and straightforward. And then Philly too, McDaniels is also like not been the best finisher either. Like that's been something yeah. that's kind of popped up for him, which again, like that's like what we're saying. Like if Taylor Hendricks doesn't get any better, like he still kind of, kind of looks like that. And that's a very useful player to have. Nevertheless, like there's a reason that the Sixers went out and acquired Jalen McDaniels. And it's because he's a good NBA player. 
And if we're redrafting his class, he's a lottery player, right? So if you just draft a lottery level talent at number six, like that's not really even bust. You know what I mean? Like even if like absolute, but let's do best case now, Maxwell, that we got yeah, everybody yeah, yeah, excited exactly. on the floor. Well, that's the thing. It's like, cause I think, I think the ceiling is like really exciting. Cause we're talking about like Jaden McDaniels, Jared Vanderbilt, like, we're starting to get to like, but with like, but like with a stroke, like a, with real, a stroke. real stroke, like that's, yeah, that's yeah, the guy so, I want. Yeah, and and now we're starting to get to like, okay, like if if you could draft those guys in their draft classes, they're probably going like at that six to ten range, which is where I think a lot of people are at now with Taylor Hendricks, right? So I think that you're getting a very useful and effective basketball player. Like if we're talking Jared Vanderbilt, like he's probably the most important defensive player on the Los Angeles Lakers right now, not named Anthony Davis. Right. So he's picking up the toughest assignments. And the, the thing about those two is, is like their development's not even done yet either. They're still pretty young players and, and figuring out their roles and things like that on their team. So for Taylor, I have him top 10. I'm still trying to nail down whether I want him, Seven to ten. I don't know if I can get him as high up as six, but I think I'm more comfortable in that eight to ten range because although the the ceiling might not be as high with him as it is like the Thompsons, the floor is safer. Where the Thompsons, their ceiling is a little higher, but their floor might be a little bit more volatile. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's still trying to figure out that that weird range within the top ten, but certainly a top ten player um, could be as high as like a top seven player um, by the time my board is done. Yeah, I really just I think I buy the passing stuff more than a lot of people like I really think the finishing is going to come around and I do think he's a really smart player and like I I just feel like the flaws that he has are things that can be developed really easily Mm -hmm. and the stuff that is good is stuff that like it's hard to catch up to. Um, Yeah, his flaws, they're going to get better as he puts on like the grown man NBA strength. That's going to help the rebounding where he can get a little bit of out muscled Mm -hmm. on the boards, but the technique is there. The screen setting is going to improve. You know, the, the slashing and absorbing contact is going to get better, which is going to help that finishing number. So a lot of the – it kind of mirrors what everyone was talking about with Brandon Miller earlier on mm-hmm. in the season where, like, the strength can only get so much better throughout the season whenever all you're doing is running throughout the year. Like, you're, yeah, guys you're a fitness guy. Season. Yeah. And, well, like, NBA players always say, like, you put on muscle and then you lose it during the year because, like, you're – you're not in the weight room the same way that you can be during yeah. the off season. Like you're traveling, you're playing, you're running all around. Like it's pretty standard for you guys to, to slim down during the year. Yep. Absolutely. Um, so up next, we have another guy that, that I also really like. I feel like there's a lot of overlap. And these next two are like a little different. I, I kind of want to get your takes on them. Cause I like them a lot. I just don't, they're not my guys. Sure. Um, but uh, another guy that I like quite a bit, you like him more than I do at this point though. Uh, and that's why he is one of your guys. Jalen Hood Shafino, a six foot six freshman from Indiana, jumbo point guard. Just yep. one of those kind of player types that we're seeing more and more. Give us a rundown on JHS and why you like him. Yeah. So you were one of the people, like before the season even kicked off, that's like, hey, Jalen Hood Shafino is probably going to be a guy that, that we need to remember coming in. I know Corey was really big on him coming into the season as well. And that's where, like, he was like a no ceilings favorite before like we're, yeah, we're hipster, you know, before yeah. it was cool. You know, mm-hmm. we, we were really big on JHS. And at one point in the season, 
we were like one of the few reputable draft outlets out there that were still ranking him. And we were just kind of like looking at each other, like like, next year guy, what happened? Like what's going on? Is there something that we need to know now? He is, he's still like a wide ranging prospect. Right. And I think that where you're saying is like, you like him just not as much as me. Uh, I'm not sitting here saying like, I love him more. So everybody else is out on him or anything Mm, like that. Like I totally get it. My thing with him though, is like, something Corey talked about a lot referring to Trace Jackson Davis is that look, coach Woodson is a phenomenal coach. He's got NBA pedigree, NBA background, very knowledgeable basketball coach and former player. That system that he runs in Indiana is pretty archaic, right? Which means that the way that JHS is being utilized as a floor general is not necessarily the way that he will be used in the NBA but he was still able to demonstrate a high sense of feel operating in the pick and roll. That just so happens to be the play set that he's probably going to be running the most whenever he gets to the NBA. Uh, he's measuring at about six, five, six, six Maxwell. You help me out if you got a more up-to-date measurement. Yeah, I, I know. I don't know the height, but I know that ESPN in one of their articles listed him as having a six ten wingspan at one point. Which so is stupid. I would assume, I would assume they have the real measurement. So I like I have no reason to doubt a measurement per- reported by Gavoni. It's not like some dude on Twitter being like, I heard it's six ten. Like, yeah, exactly. It's, it's from a very good source. So yeah, probably six five, six six, six ten wingspan. Yeah, which is all the rage when you're considering like drafting a lead guard in the NBA now, right? And the high sense of feel that he has, like the the ability to snake his way into the lane. Guys that play with like a unique pace and cadence to their game typically translate pretty well to the NBA because it's the reason that they look different is because they are, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like the way that they're going to perform is going to be at a different level to other players. So when we're looking at JHS operating in an archaic system, playing second fiddle to, and rightfully so to trace Jackson Davis, another high uses guy. So we're getting to see how he looks operating in the pick and roll and operating next to another ball-dominant player. So you don't have to worry about putting him into a spot where, well, is he going to fit with the star player? Like, how are they going to – are they going to overlap? Is he going to be redundant? He's not, right? He's showing that the shot, it looks like it's going to be a pretty good weapon, right? That mid-range jumper is nasty. His highs – Nathan has has pounded this, you know, in, into our listeners. I'm still going to do it. His highs <laughs> – his highs are as high as anybody else's highs in this entire draft class. And that and that means something when we're talking about projecting prospects forwards because yep. you want to buy their strengths and then how can they show up the weaknesses. Mm-hmm. I think with his unique pace, uh, the, the offense is there. I think the defense is going to be there too at his position at least. Like He's probably not going to be a defensive stopper, but he's going to be, a, I would imagine, like a net neutral defender at the next level, which has a lot of promise, right? And then Maxwell, I'd be remiss if I didn't say player, and I say this all the time, players with his size and feel, like that intersection of those two things, the success rate is pretty solid Mm -hmm. in the NBA. And if you look at where guys like Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Tyrese Halliburton were drafted in their respective draft classes, they're in that like 12 to 15 range. But it, when you redraft him, like the Shago number one in his draft class now, this Tyrese Halliburton, Good, yeah. I had him number four in his draft class. That might have even been too low now that we're looking at that draft class now. Mm-hmm. I just think that we have a, a recent history of how these guys look coming into their 
drafts and where retroactively they get selected. And he has a lot of commonality with those types of players. Yeah. So G- JHS is a big, like heart versus brain kind of debate yeah. for me at times too, where like you watch the film and like, I just love his game. Like everything he does is, is very aesthetically p- pleasing. It's very pretty. He's very clearly processing the game at a high level. He thinks the game well, he's kind of that coach on the floor type of guy on offense. He knows where everybody is. Um, he has like high turnover numbers, but then like at one point during the year, I looked through his turnovers and it was all like, oh, he threw like a good pass to a guy who wasn't ready for it. Or like he delivered the ball in an interesting angle and like it, the player bobbled it because they didn't yeah. anticipate it coming that way. Like a lot of it was stuff where I'm just like, oh, that's like not not his fault. Um, where it gets tricky, I think, with him is projecting the shot. Um, so this is like part of the reason I was really in on him preseason is I think like in high school, the three point percentage was like dismal. It was like 18%. And that was, again, that was, we were working with inset at the time. So we did not have the level of data that we have on guys now. So that was a very small sample. Um, but it was a really bad percentage based on the numbers that we had. He goes on to college and he shoots 33% from three, which if you told me that I'd been like, yeah, first rounder. And I still, yeah, still first round guy. Of course. Um, but the way he went about it was very odd. So he the pull up two is still deadly for like 42.4 percent on pull up twos which is like star stuff um 38.8 on threes off the dribble which is stellar especially if you're going to be a pick and roll ball handler because like kind of forces guys to have to come over the top um but 26.5 percent on catch and shoot threes and like not a great free throw shooter so like, or no, he was 77%. He was good there this year. So there's been like real year over year growth, but at the same time, it's still like, I'm not sure what the off ball role looks like at this stage. Like I love him as a playmaker. Trust him. I think he makes really good decisions. What do you view him doing off the ball on an NBA floor? So, or do you just think the shot gets there because it like everything kind of says it will. I think the shot gets there. And, and here's the thing, like, between Shea and Tyrese, like Tyrese coming into the NBA, his shot looked weird, but when it went in, right? It was efficient. We were just like, oh, okay, like is this is this sustainable? Shea didn't really have like a pretty three coming in. And that, that, mm-hmm. that's like the biggest thing holding him back, like truth be told, from being like a clear-cut star in the NBA is he's, one, he doesn't shoot volume, and two, the efficiency kind of wax and wanes, right? Mm-hmm. But – the way that they process the game, the way that they can recognize open spots on the floor away from the ball because they see it when they have the ball in their hands and they understand where other people are supposed to be when I have the ball, I just need to put myself in that spot, right? Like some of the be- – and if we talk him down to like just a role player status. Sorry, it- the second time I've accidentally hit a button that I should not have tonight. It's all good. If we talk about him just like in a role player role, like something that I've talked about with with um, Chris Murray is that why I think he's going to be a good role player is because he's been the star. And the yeah, thing yeah, yeah, yeah. From the start of the role player is like when I'm the star, I know where I want the ball and I know where I want people to be. When I'm the role player, I'm successful because I know what that guy wants for me because I wanted it from other people. I think JHS can do that off the ball because he knows where he wants people to be when he has the ball in his hands. Now he just has to put 
himself in that other spot. And I think that the jumper is going to be efficient and he's like, not like contact adverse at all. Like he has no. a problem mixing it up in the paint. So I think that that helps him in a slashing ability. It's just that the role that we saw him in like this condensed version at Indiana, I don't know if that's enough to say that I don't trust him anywhere else. You know what I mean? Because he's a very cerebral, smart player. And just like what we saw from Shea when he was operating in Oklahoma city with Jenna Schroeder, and Chris Paul, and just like we saw with Tyrese Halliburton when he's operating in Sacramento with guys like De'Aaron Fox and um, Davion Mitchell, they can play with multiple guards because they're just intelligent players, and they have the link that actually holds up to being like a multi-positional player away from the ball. But I think that the the biggest bang for your buck is going to be to put the ball in his hands and let him become like this big initiator with the ball. And because he can do that, then you can put him in these DHO sets where you get him a full head of steam, um, getting a handoff from a big man and attacking the basket or these, you know, guard to guard pick and rolls that the NBA is starting to run a lot now because of his size. Like maybe you hunt the smaller defensive assignment. You know what I mean? Like there's mm-hmm. ways that you can get creative with a guy like this just because of how intelligent he is and how he just consistently finds a way to get to where he wants to on the court. There's just so much of a foundation there that, he could end up being like one of these like ultimate like redraft guys within his class. Yeah. So the last thing I want to touch on with him, uh, and I just want to pull up like the updated number. So synergy at, during, during his time at Montverde, um, they list his three point percentage at 26.5. Mm. He took 27 off the dribble and only made four and made 35% of his threes off the catch. So he was better off the catch and worse off the dribble. Now he's good off the dribble, bad off the catch. So these are the fun things that they get to keep you up at night when this is what you do. Um, So the other concern with him, and this is one that goes back to high school, is his rim finishing. Yeah. Um, struggles there doesn't really pressure the rim a ton very content to pull up which is a good shot for him um but more of a pull-up guy than a get all the way to the rim collapse the defense guy what do you make of that and like is it a concern for you at all i mean obviously it's a concern like the numbers aren't there is something that kind of reared its head but again the archaic system in indiana there's at least two bodies like really close to the basket so if you're walking into a situation where there's at least four people, you know, offense and defense, and then you're bringing you yourself and your guy, like that's going to be something that is obviously going to make your life more difficult. So it makes sense why he would stop, you know, on a Mm -hmm. dime and rise up against people because he has the height length to be able to do so. So I, I don't know. I just think that with an more open court, um, a more functional NBA, obviously NBA level offense in the NBA, but something that he'll be able to play in a more open system, I think that will help him out a lot because just by virtue of there being less less bodies occupying the paint with him, the finishing number sh- should theoretically improve. But again, that's like more of the projection aspect and me buying into the fact that he gets to his spot so easily. I don't know why that would change with more space in front of him at the next level. For sure. For sure. I think I think that's all fair. Um, we're going to throw it to one more ad. Then we're going to get, uh, Steven's last two guys, guys lower down on the board. Um, and I think people, guys that 
a lot of people may not have paid as close attention to just because their visibility was different than these first three guys that were kind of college stars. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it should be really fun. Uh, So stay tuned with us. We're going to take a brief ad break and come back with Steven's last two guys. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, perfect. So, Stephen, two guys to go. Another guy that you were early on Mm. uh, that you kind of spotted out, wrote about him, even though maybe he wasn't on people's radars. Is this your guy at this point? Um, Bobby Clinton from Wake Forest. Bobby is... A very interesting player. He is six foot ten. Does a little bit of everything. Give people the rundown on his game and, and kind of what you're seeing in him, and and let people know where you have him too. Well, I got to give a shout out to Evan and Corey at the team because I know that they had tweeted about him, talked about him, and that was kind of like the prelude for my uh, Bobby Clintman piece was that like the idea of prospect sharing, like saying, hey, like this is really cool player. You should check him out and let me know what you think so we can, you know both grow as evaluators and things like that. Um, That's where I found Bobby out of Wake Forest. And I had an opportunity to actually interview him for that article and just being able to listen to him, man. Like, first off, I'll tell anybody who asked me about Bobby is like, he's the sweetest kid I've ever talked to. Like if I had a daughter, his age, like he could marry my daughter. It wouldn't bother (laughs) me at all. Um, His story is interesting. Uh, he, He calls himself the Swede freak, which is what I titled the article. And, you know, Grew up in Malmo, Sweden, uh, played for the Swedish national team, dominated, uh, moved to, you know, play play ball at Link Academy, which is in the heartland of America. So mm-hmm. you're moving from Sweden to the Midwest, playing basketball, Grady Dick and Mark Mitchell on the and, and other future prospects that we're going to be talking about next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, played with all those guys, showed a lot of versatility for Link, and then moved to wake forest which is located in north carolina so a lot of movement right so as he's like geographically moving he's experiencing a a growth spurt and adding muscle to his frame right so i say all of that because everybody who's listening to this and is looking him up on college basketball reference or whatever and it's like oh he averages blah 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 and blah 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 and blah 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 and his percentages and all this other stuff i get it right the thing with him is like he's the ultimate like hypothetical player to me in this draft where if you look at a player who's 6'10", who's experiencing like this major growth spurt, who has experience carrying a team on the national scale against like the world's best competition within his age group, dominating, moving to play and learn American style basketball, because that's where he's going to make money 
is in the NBA, obviously in America. So he's learning a completely different style of play, growing into his body, playing on a very senior laden team and Wake Forest. And an opportunity just isn't like given to him. He has to earn it. And he's playing a role, right? So all of that to say this, that Maxwell at the end of the day, he is a 6'10 guy who can shoot, who can weak side for protect, who has some ball handling and passing flashes. The, the reason he calls himself the Swede Freak is because he is obviously a fan of Giannis Antetokounmpo, and they share actually some pretty similar like characteristics on the floor that makes you wonder, even if it's only momentarily, like, is that a little bit of Giannis Antetokounmpo in his game? And that is why this guy has been invited to go to the big boy. Um, big combine. Yeah. Big combine, which which indicates that NBA front offices are obviously very interested in this guy because he's such a hypothetical player that the team that might pick him is like, we might want to invest in this guy because long term he could yield some some crazy, nasty, scary results because of all the potential that is wrapped up in that frame. Yeah. Yeah, that is a very good way of putting it. Um, and yeah, I should I just like stop calling it like the big combine? I feel like I keep referring to the big combine like on podcasts and on the site. And I'm just like, no one's told me that that's wrong yet. So I'm going to keep calling it the big combine. But well, that's the that's the one where you're going to get the most. Hours. It's like, you know, it's, let's it's, keep yeah, it wrestling. One that, yeah, they, they call WWE New York, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's kind of the same kind of the same vibe. Um, so yeah, Clinton is super intriguing, right? Because on paper, like you said, not, not super productive. Um, didn't play a massive role on the team, barely played over half their minutes, but you watch the games, especially later in the season. It's like, oh man, this guy was like really figuring some stuff out. Like Mm -hmm. he really seemed to get more and more comfortable. He had some really big games later in the year. He starts a couple games and, it just feels like the baseline stuff is pretty good too. Like the fact that he is six ten, can move how he can. Yes. And it's already like a 37 ish percent three point shooter. It's like, that's a really good starting point for a guy who very much knows how to play the game of basketball. Like, it's not like, okay, well he's six ten and he can move and he shot 37% from three, but he's kind of a mess. He doesn't really know what he's doing out there. Yep. Like, if that was the case, it'd be like, all right, well, I'll consider it, but I'm not excited about it. Or with Clinton, it's like, okay, he's doing all that stuff, and like he he is a re, he's just a really intelligent player on the yeah. court. He really sees the game well. Um, I'm I'm really interested in Clinton, and he's a guy where like I I need to do more film work just because I had sort of anticipated him being a next year guy. Yep. Um, but but as the year went on, like it was a guy where it's like, well, maybe, and then like I snuck in more and more film. Um, late Grossberg guys, really good track record in recent years. Jalen Williams, Trey Murphy, um, a lot of, for whatever reason, just seems to be something that has some real carryover to it. Even Leonard Miller is a Grossberg guy. Um, with Clintman, I think the mobility is real deal. And I think if you were looking at his college stats, which again, like mm-hmm. a lot, I think the biggest gripe that a lot of people would have is just like the numbers aren't big enough. But like, if you look into the advanced ones, it's the assist percentage, but we know from that prior film that this is a guy who can really read the floor and pass. Yep. So can you kind of talk about that aspect of his game? Because I think it's probably something that if you're just kind of like leaping into draft season now, and you're not like in the weeds following it year round, you probably don't know that like the passing was actually a really big selling point to him previously. 
Right. And this is, again, is like, we talk about how players like Steph Curry has had like a predominant impact on the youth of basketball. Now, like coming into the NBA, like is given lanes for players like Trey young. Well, Giannis, it's hard to be, you know, six ten, seven foot, but when you can be six ten, seven foot and you're playing European basketball, where that's like the land of dribble pass shoot, right? Like everybody has to be able to have a, at least a baseline level of all of those things. Well, Bobby has in pr- like pretty sub- significant ball handling, and you you touched on the playmaking. We if you go and watch the that well, I think it was the U eighteen for when he was with mm-hmm. Sweden. Like he was putting up double doubles, like really good assist numbers. I can't remember them off the top of my head, but I want to say they were in the neighborhood of like four or five assists per game. So mm-hmm. like he's He's giving you like Draymond Green as stat lines, um, leading a team in in Sweden, right? And then coming over to Link, he they still utilized him sort of like as a playmaker, right? Because they have Grady Dick who can shoot. They have Mark Mitchell who's the athletic freak of nature on the team. Like Bobby in a in a kind of a limited role, like he could go off offensively, but he was more playing to the strengths of his teammates around him, and that is because of his European style of play that he had growing up. And I think too, like with European players, they have that innate ability to find the open man, like pretty regularly because it's beat into them at such a young age. Bobby has an advanced read on the floor, right? And again, you're not going to see that number um, just as like a baseline level on college basketball reference or anything Mm -hmm. like that. Maxwell, you touched on the assist percentage. It just shows through, like he makes smart decisions with the ball. He has that positional wiggle and, and ball handling to him, which he does yeah. not everybody at that position that will defend him is just like suited to defend. It's really hard to be able to stop a player at his size who has the handle and the, yeah. uh, the court vision that he has. So I did pull up the number. So it was the U20. So it's even U20. like a bit older of an age yeah. group than like what, uh, like Cam Whitmore and Kalal Ware played against in the U18 Americas. Yeah. Um, 16 points per game. 10 rebounds per game, 5.1 assists per game yep. to 2.9 turnovers. So the dude can like create when yep. called upon. Um, I'm like flirting with him first round, honestly. Oh, I have him hard because, first. Like yeah, he's like mid twenties. Like, yeah. I, I think that's where he's going to end up. I need to finish the film dive. I try not to like first round guys where I feel like I still need to do more research, but like I have him 29 right now. Yeah. Um, because it feels like if you are going to upside swing and if you're a team that has multiple first round picks, this is the guy to do it on because he has a ready-made NBA skill as a passer. He has an NBA body and he has NBA size. And, and like, shoot. yeah, that's the thing is like, I, and like I, for this combine piece, I've been doing a lot of research on like who had a big combine performance and stuck. And it was always guys that had size feel and could shoot. And like, that's Clintman and he's six ten, So like, he's not in this. I don't even know if he's going to play at the combine, but if he does like it, though, like those are the kind of guys that I like to bet on is when there's like one NBA skill, the NBA athleticism is there and there's a general good level of feel. And I feel like that's, that's Bobby. Clinton, so, and, and I have it on good authority that Bobby is going into this process, like, and can be picky. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah, he, yeah. Yeah. He can come in and if it's like, Hey, we really like you at 33 or at 35, Mm-hmm. it might he might say eh, that's not high enough i'll go back next year and be a lottery pick you know yeah what I mean? yeah like, 
he well, has the thing is like you keep hearing how bad next year's draft is going to be and it's like well i don't think the demand is going to go away for high field 610 guy that can shoot like it's just not it's just not going away no and the way that this guy again the way that this guy interviews <laughs> the way that he moves on a basketball court and how intelligent he is like he's teams are going to fall in love with it this guy might be like the jalen williams um uh, in terms of risers, right? Like I think yeah, that yeah, we yeah. already undersell Jalen Williams, how productive he was coming into last year's draft cycle. But in terms mm-hmm. of like late risers uh, coming up at this portion of the draft cycle, like Bobby is probably going to be that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the last guy, another guy who I, I think could like also be in that mix because I am also like just getting around to finishing my deep dive on him is uh, CD Sissoko. Yeah. From the G league ignite. He is, a really fascinating player. I, yeah, I'll, I'll kind of let you take the lead on him because I feel like everyone starts somewhere else with CD. Yeah. But he's 6'8. He played for the G League Ignite, and I'm going to let you take it from there. Yeah. So uh, another Frenchman that is looking to get drafted in this year's draft class, uh, not as unique as it once was. I like <laughs> CD a good bit coming into this, this draft cycle. And Nathan has a, a couple times been like, hey, your guy is doing great. And, like, as the season progressed, I'm not going to lie, like, my fandom of him, like, died down just because he had a rough start. And that yeah, that probably did. should be expected moving forward with these G League prospects is, like, that's a big jump going from any sort of starting yeah. point into a, into a system that is designed to, like, test your limits and boundaries as a prospect, not like other places where they would just, like, hey, what are your strengths? Okay, let's showcase that sure. and, like, not yeah. work on anything else, right? Like, the G League is all about putting guys in positions to be uncomfortable. And and we can go down a long list of players who did that, like like Hardy, you know, for yep. who is now playing for the Mavericks. Mm-hmm. Sissoko struggled on the, off the jump. And again, that should have been accounted for, but it wasn't on my part. So that's like a, a negative strike against me as an evaluator. But another European style of play, like dribble pass shoot, like that had been there throughout the year for him or at least the dribble and the passing the shoot mm-hmm. kind of progressed as the year went on. But again, bigger court, increased level of competition and athleticism, something else that should have been baked into my evaluation, but wasn't. But the thing about CD as the year progressed and something that I've kind of always held true with him is like, I really liked looking at him, not as like a wing, but as like a, a four, yep. you know, like a, yeah. as a forward. And I think, and I don't think that was like really like, the popular analysis of him analysis of him coming into the year. No, I think a lot of people saw him as like a wing guard and I did too. And I, I'd actually pushed back on the air about him being a four at one point, but the more I watched the film, it's like, no, I think that's what he's going to be. And he, he was kind of out of position for ignite because there was a lot of like Leonard and Mika and stuff like that. And like those guys grab all the rebounds. So he doesn't rebound like a four, but he played with like two of the top 15 rebounders in the G league this year. So it's like, well, he probably would like, I don't, I don't think he doesn't like fundamentally he does the stuff that that translates to good rebounding. So I do think that I, yeah, I think that's what he is. Yeah. And I mean, if we're looking at a guy who's, what did, what did Pooh, friend of the program say? He's six, eight, two twenty. Like he hit you like 20 is what, yeah. Pooh says he's two twenty now, which is right. He looks it like I don't I don't doubt that he's 220. That is a, a large man. Yeah. If Pooh says it, I'm buying it. You know, shout out to Pooh for yep. the program. But City at 6'8", 220, I think that gives him a lot of positional versatility. Right. And I think that's the big selling point on him. First and foremost is like this guy defends his tail off. Like, yeah, the G League has done so great at making players like 
thirsty and hungry on both sides of the ball. You know, yeah, they, they really do. That is something they don't get enough credit for is like how hard these guys compete on defense. Yeah. And it's like nothing is given to you in the G League either. Right. Which is why I think that you, you're starting to see them experiment more. And now with more programs starting to open up for G League, which I'm super excited about. I'm sure we'll talk about in future episodes, but the development in the G League, I think, has been criticized. But we also kind of forget that how young that program really is and the success rate that they're already having with the prospects that come through that program is tremendous. And it's players like CD who have improved in their shooting throughout the season, right. On a big court, like there's not going to be a transition in terms of like the floor dimensions for him. And he's already improving. Uh, But here's my thing, dude. There's so much for a lot of the reasons you like Leonard Miller's grab and go potential. I love that for city at the floor, right? Like, Imagine him like on possess, like say he plays for Sacramento, right? Like that's something I think a lot of people are starting to really like at no ceilings. Um, imagine like Sabonis isn't on the floor, right? He grab and goes and you got guys like Fox at the position. You know, there's, there's a lot of athletes, you know, Mitchell on this team. There's a lot of fun stuff that he can do in transition and in the half court operating DHO's hands off, um, slashing to the basket operating as a screener as a short role playmaker in those pick and roll sets, I think is going to be something that he'll have a lot of value in at the NBA. He just has such high feel for the game and an incredible motor on the defensive side of the ball. He'll rebound the heck out of it. I have no doubt about it. And then if he continues to show that that three point shot is a real weapon, he is going to be one of these guys that like the redraft value on him is going to be through the roof. That's yeah. And that's, I think where I have a hard time with him is that, it seems like he's really close to being like just awesome because he's yeah. 19. He just played in a pro league. He shot 32% from three, which is not great, but if he's going to play a four, it could be worse. And he's already doing it from the NBA line at that mm-hmm. age. So like, that's a big, big feather in his cap, really good playmaker, really interesting defender in terms of the plays that he makes. And it's like, if he just becomes like, a 35% three point shooter. That's a playoff dude. Like that is a dude you play in the playoffs with his size, his athleticism and how he knows how to move the ball. Um, It just feels like there's a little bit of connective tissue missing with him. Like he's not the best finisher. He, it looks like he's a little uncoordinated at times. Like his body just kind of seems to come unglued his, and like he grew up a point guard and you can see with the vision, but like his handle gets wildly loose at times when he gets downhill. And then like, defensively there's a lot of fouling um adam spinella pointed this out to me uh from the box and one go go check him out um he made a video on cd sissoko and like the last minute of it is just like for one of his improvement areas is like he gets involved in a lot of extracurricular it's like there's a lot of just totally unnecessary (laughs) fouling and like baiting and like temper like dylan brooks kind of stuff that comes up in his game which is like all right, you got to calm down, but I love the competitiveness. Yeah. I really, really like it. And it's the kind of thing that's like, all right, well, you got better throughout the year at ignite. You are a winning player on paper. If this all comes together, it just needs to happen. And it feels silly to bet against a guy who's like productive in doing these things in a pro league when he was 18 for most of the season, like he just turned 19. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of value in that too. So it's really weird. Like, I just want to point this out. I'm sure the listeners can already make this parallel. It's weird how you're a Miller guy and I'm a Sissoko mm-hmm. guy. But when we talk about why we like our guys so much, 
like how much you say about Miller, mm-hmm. I say kind of the same thing about City. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? yeah. It's, it's kind of like we're splitting apart Siamese twins almost, you know, <laughs> between <laughs> yeah. between both of these guys. It's like mm-hmm. both could be really successful. It's uh-huh. just which player type, I guess, are you buying more? But there sure. are so many similarities that it's like, why do we see such a, a a divergence between where we both have each one respectively? Yeah, I think I think with City, my thing is just I worry a little bit more about the habits and I worry a little bit more about not necessarily like the playmaking. because I think he's a better like playmaker and reader of the floor than Leonard. I just worry about like how basically just like his coordination, like the yeah. fact that the ball comes loose, the handle goes in traffic. Um, he is like a really handsy defender who gets in foul trouble a lot. And he's not a very good finisher at this point. And again, like, like I've said like three times in this episode. Now the guys who get better at finishing are the guys who are big and athletic. Like, I, I don't think that that's going to be that way forever, but I don't love his touch inside the arc, which is odd because I do kind of buy his jumper. Yeah. Um, but I don't love his floaters. I don't love his touch at the rim if it's not a dunk. Um, but he's probably going to get a lot of dunks because he is really damn big. <laughs> and, and that's why I like him at the four, right? Like a lot of the stuff yeah. that you're pointing out against him is like, I would care more about those things if I saw him if, kind of yeah. as like that, like perimeter based player but i don't really look at him in that light that's true and that's why i look at him like as as a four and i just see so many like unique ways that he could be an advantage to a team but in the same breath it's not like i'm advocating him to be super high up boards i just like he's a personal favorite of mine because of how he's going the first and like a lot of places don't have him there yeah, and I have him at like twenty, like twenty three to twenty five, like somewhere in that neighborhood. Yeah. I'm still trying yeah, to nail yeah. down positions, yeah. but twenty three to twenty five, like Maxwell, you, you and I both, like we love our hundred seventeenth prospect on our board. Yeah, like yeah, we, yeah, we love everybody, right? I just, I think the way that why he's one of the the favorites of mine is like I feel like I look at him through like a, a almost like different lens positionally than like the consensus has nailed him down, That's and. Fair. Yeah, and I just I enjoy his game so much. And again, like the competitive, like the reasons you love Miller is why I love Sissoko because he's just he's filthy. He's like, uh, he's an energizer bunny. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's a really good point. Um, shout out to Charles Bediaco, by the way, number one seventeen on my board. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so, I, love, I, love that. I think I have him so. at like. Last last I looked because I was reading higher. Yeah, I, think I was I reading yours and Nathan's article. Mm-hmm. I think I have him at like late 90s, like I think like 97, 99, like somewhere in there. Yeah. And I was like, shout out to you guys, because y'all just wrote a incredible piece. And I read his name in there. I was like, my guy, you know? Yeah, that's that was a Nathan one. Nathan, Nathan took Betty Yako for that piece. But yeah, I think you're onto something with with how you view CD positionally, though, right? Because like if CD is a four, then how much is he handling? Like, and then like the fouling stuff, I, I don't know. Like, is it going to be things that he runs into when he's not guarding guys that are handling the ball as much? Yeah. Like a lot of it is just, it goes away. If you think, mm-hmm. you, if you think you play the four, I'm interested to see how he measures. Cause I think his wingspan will play a big role in that. I don't know if his wingspan's yeah. already out there. It could be. Um, I, I'm, I'm not a big like measurements guy. And I know that's probably yeah, like yeah, taboo yeah. in the draft space. Like I just like can do 
do stuff on the court. And like, that's how I kind of look at him positionally. At yeah. the floor. I think that he can functionally be one. Yeah. I think for me, it's more so just like, I want to make sure he doesn't have like a six, seven wingspan. Oh, like, I, sure, don't, yeah. I don't think he does, but like, like he's I, a like, T-Rex out there. Yeah. Be, yeah. Like, you know, you have to be like Brandon Clark level, level bouncy. If you have like a flat wingspan at that size. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that does it uh, for, for your guys. Um, let's, well, let's kind of get into parting words because unfortunately yeah. we don't have you around here much longer. So I'm going to let you just kind of take the floor here. Yeah. So this is, uh, I'm going to try to keep it together, man, because you're fine, man. Do do what you got to do. Yeah. So, uh, Nathan wrote, like, didn't ask for this. Like it wasn't prompted, but like, he's like, Hey man, I can't make the show. And then like wrote this big, long, like basically thank you to me. And it's just, mm. It's so weird to be thanked for for being on, you know, draft deeper because like Nathan is draft deeper. Like as, yeah, as yeah. great as it is that like we get to be co-hosts with him and like that's not like a like a, a suicide dig at myself or a knock on you or anything like that. It's just like I think draft deeper and like Nathan is in my head first it's because his podcast that we listened to. Right. And I was actually listening to him on Chucking Dart. Shout out to Chuck. And they were like kind of crediting each other for coming up around the same time in, in the pandemic era. I was like, man, I've been listening to Nathan for a long time. And like, now I get to be on a show with him. So shout out to him because like he took bets on us, you know, no ceilings as a whole took bets on us. And, you know, I'm glad that I get to be on the show with you in particular, Maxwell, because we did stuff. To, it's like when we were in the yeah, we were like, together. Like, yeah, exactly, exactly. Like we're the two guys where it's like, all right, I think we both think we're pretty good. Let's see if we let's see what we can do together. And we're like Sammy we Zayn and, and Kevin Owens. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. So it's um, it is pretty cool that that we get to be where we are, you know. And like, I did work with Nathan before, um, when I was like off the ball, and it's just crazy, man. So. Big shout out to Nathan. Love you like a brother, man. Maxwell, same to you. Love you like a brother. For sure. You too. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, the no ceilings family too. You know, it's, it's crazy how much things have picked up this year. Like doing stuff that in, and for the listeners, like this might be tacky, whatever. Like I would, I would love for you to continue listening, but I get it. If this is like not what you want to listen to anymore, but the amount of stuff that I've gotten to do this year is just insane. Like the people that I'm getting to talk to the access to things that I'm getting to have now, it's just wild, man. You know? Mm-hmm. So like these like brief hiatuses that I have to take for my job, like it's just like a constant reminder to stay humble. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because at any moment, this stuff can be taken away. You know, it's uh it's just a dream, dude, that we're chasing down and like we're still in our infancy. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, there's like momentum and stuff like that. I'm not trying to like make our heads any bigger, but like there's reasons to continue to be excited for everything that we have going. But I never want to lose this feeling of um, just being grateful, thankful and humble, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, as much as I hate my job sometimes because <laughs> I have to leave you guys. And yeah, yeah it's yeah. also really weird that like, I'm going to like, I, I'm married and I have four kids. Mm -hmm. So obviously number one, like, yeah, that's going to sting the most. Mm -hmm. But at second, it's really weird that like, we have this no ceilings collective and this no ceilings family. And like, I miss you guys when I'm gone, you know what I mean? And like, I haven't really hung out with anybody in person. Like Corey's the only no ceilings, uh, 
you know, family member that I got to kick it with in person when we went to the overtime elite pro day, shout out to the OTE. But like, I miss you guys, you know, and I'm, I'm excited for when I come back and I get to see like all the, the success that we've accomplished, like all the milestones that we've hit, you know, big things that we have to look forward to when I come back. And most importantly, I just want to thank the uh, no ceilings universe. You know what I mean? Like, because it's, it's crazy to me that I have people that listen to me and care about my opinion sometimes, you know what I mean? Like I'm a knucklehead, (laughs) you know, like (laughs) I'm a deviant, like there's nothing like I, I'm not, I'm not, you know, a redeemable commodity, you know what I mean? But like, there are people that care enough to like talk with me, that reach out to me, that genuinely care about me and my well-being, that have ne- that don't know me from Adam. You know, if they saw mm-hmm. me on the street, they might not even connect my my cartoon emoji to my actual human face. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. yeah. Shout out to the No Ceilings Universe. Shout out to the No Ceilings family. Shout out to the Draft Deeper family, man. This is all just incredible and i'm just thankful and grateful and humble to be here yeah well if i can can speak for for myself and and for i'm sure a lot of listeners like it's been it's always a pleasure like podcast with you like we were doing this before we were at no ceilings right like yeah i yeah like i obviously i can be a fan of of you and what you do um i just think it's been really cool like you mentioned like the stuff that we've gotten to do is like crazy 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 um compared to where we were like two years ago like we were just slapping together podcasts hoping people would listen to them writing writing like a a joint substack together being like (laughs) is this a thing that we can do do we have like time to do that and now like it's become a much bigger part of our lives like it's like a constant thing that we think about like every second of every day um it's been such an honor to be on this journey with you yeah um because like i a like and this is getting to be like corny. I respect you as like a human being a lot, like knowing like the quality of human being that you are um, behind the scenes, knowing that you're somebody that I can always talk to and go to. Um, but then in the basketball sense too, like I feel like you made a really serious leap as an evaluator this year. Like when you, when you wrote like your Houston Millette piece before the <laughs> season, I like texted Nathan on the side and I was like, dude, Steven's bringing it. Like it was like one of those things where it's like, I feel like something that I'm, really grateful for and now this is, i feel like this is just, if you don't want to like listen to us talk about how good we all think we are like i, I get it. but like i i feel like one of the best things that we have going for ourselves as a team and i feel like the whole draft space is starting to hit the point too where like for a while it felt like there was not a lot going on in the nba yeah. draft space online like there was like good people and then like they all kind of got hired by teams and went away and there was like some people doing good work but it was kind of scattered it was all over the place it wasn't consistent um but like having people like you, like Corey, like Albert, like Metcalf, like Rucker, like everybody across the board on the same like it really Nathan, Paige, Evan. Dude, Paige, like all right. I'm I'm trying not to like talk about how good everybody is. Paige is gonna be I'm saying this right now, Paige is gonna be able to call her own shot and do whatever she wants to do. Yeah. And the basketball and media and in whatever industry she she's wants a rock star in three years. Paige is a killer. Like Paige yeah. is phenomenal. But this is about Steven. And I I think you got I think you got so much better at evaluating and just like thinking through things more thoroughly and like the work that you put in this year pushes everybody else to get better. And like, I just know that like when I see your piece go up on Sunday and I see Nathan's go up on Monday, I know I have to bring it on Tuesday because I don't want to be the guy that if somebody just came to the website for a first time on a Sunday and saw what you put out, I don't want to be the person a couple of days later that makes them think they want to unsubscribe. <laughs> so, so you've, you've really set a high bar 
um and we're yeah we're just gonna miss you like it's, it's a pleasure to podcast with you it's a pleasure to read your work it's great to have you in the group chat like you're always just such a an upbeat positive person and and, and just great to have around yeah man that that i i can't tell you how much those words mean to me man and just uh you know keep the mushy stuff going i just <laughs> i love you like i i'm genuinely mm-hmm. like, I, I love you guys you know mm-hmm. and it's, the community uh, it, is awesome and it feels yeah. like the community is becoming more and more positive too like it feels like it feels like the draft space is like the is a whole yeah is like the best it's been in a long time like it feels like everybody's got their attitudes in a good place everybody's supporting each other everybody's lifting each other up and like everybody's putting out quality work like this is the most quality work yeah. that i have seen in the draft space like across the board in a long time it's a really good time to be in the weeds if you're a draft fan yeah, and it's just, um, you know, you, you, you said that I, you, I echo the same sentiment with everybody. Like, Corey is just like a basketball wizard. So good. You yeah. know, Metcalf and Rucker, like the way that they can simultaneously like give like thorough analysis while also just like giving pop culture references and have just like the, the best time on earth. It's mind blowing to me. Nick, the amount of work that he does. Is the editing? Is, oh my gosh! Like every day he's doing he something. Yeah, every day he's doing something to make no ceilings a better a better place. And like he reaches out to everybody on a one on one level. You know, uh, Paige, they, she's the the world is her oyster, man. She's a rock star. Mm-hmm. You know, Albert is, you know, the, the sweetheart amongst the group. Evan is just like the silent warrior who is just just yeah, like he's, he's in so on good. guys before everybody else, and it's just incredible. <laughs> Like how he knows like when a player is gonna stick, you know, mm-hmm. and I could sing praises on everybody, but I'm just I'm, again thankful, grateful, humble to be here. And again, shout out to everybody that's listening to us, man. The No Ceilings Universe is uh, expanding rapidly, and yeah, I, I, I love it. It's it's such a great community, and it's just so great to have everybody that listens. And yeah, I mean, they're they're all going to miss you as, as much as I as I will, and as much as Nathan will, and as much as everybody on the team will. Um, so any any final kind of closing words from you? No, Scoot is the definitive number two prospect in this draft. Class. <laughs> I don't care what anybody yep. says moving forward. Um, I'm just everybody. Just I know that you're going to um, when I when I have to take my hiatus. I know that. There's going to be more and more people tuning in. Um, just be ready because there's going to be stuff that I'm not going to be a part. Like you're going to hear my voice on like guest appearance on a couple podcasts before I go. Like there's going to be one more piece before I go. But can't tell you guys how jealous I am that you guys are going to experience thing and these things that I know that are coming in real time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I'm already excited for but I'm not going to get to experience it with everybody else. Like you are all going to be excited at the same time. And that's going to be such a fun time to be in the no ceilings universe. So just, you know, make sure that you're staying up to date on everything because our posse is getting big and our posse is getting bigger to quote the, the beastie boys. So just, <laughs> uh, <laughs> just, just stay tuned subscribe on, on everything that Maxwell is going to tell you too, but for love sure. you guys. Thank you so much for the support. When I come back, um, I'm gonna hit with the the wheels running. You can you can write that down. You can guarantee that's gonna be my first proclamation of the next year's draft cycle. Is that <laughs> I'm only gonna work harder. For sure. Well, we can't wait wait for you to get back. Um, follow him on Twitter at Stephen G Hoops. Make sure you're following No Ceilings at No Ceilings NBA on Twitter. Subscribe to the Substack at No Ceilings NBA.com. Subscribe to this podcast feed, the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed, on whatever app you listen to this on. 
Watch us on YouTube. Subscribe there. Rutgers making crazy videos every single day on different podcasts. So make sure you're following that. You can follow me on Twitter at Boundboards at B A U M Boards on Twitter and follow Nathan at Draft Deeper. Yeah. Thank you all so much for joining us, and we will see you all next time. Much love, y'all.